Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have Buck. Hello. How's it going? I'm awesome. Not fab- so it's a, a level up from fabulous, eh? Um, no, just about the same, just in a different way. Oh, nice, nice, nice. So what have you been up to, Buck? Um, study, Father's Day, um, yeah, more study, reading, a bit of games, um, tiny little bit of sleep here and there. Yeah. Nice, nice. It is. Nice, nice. And I also have the professor with me today. Hello. What'd you get up to, professor? Work mostly, but right now I'm strongly tempted to go back in editing and make that and about six times longer. <laughs> but why? I want everyone to suffer like we do. <laughs> ah. But how are you going, though, anyway? Because I know the DJ didn't ask you. Yeah, I, don't want I, feel, you I don't want you to feel left out here. Like, I, feel like we're <laughs> team. Dead. I feel alone. I feel like everyone I care about is, oh, no, wait, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's contrary to what you were earlier on. What? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. But uh, anyways, uh, what you guys got up to for Father's Day? Um, spent time with my dad. Oh, yeah. no, 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 um, great lunches out to the sea out on the bay. No, expect no great present presents get reveals. Nothing like that. Well, we went to a Vietnamese restaurant. Oh, nice. You book? Um, I spent it with my dad. Okay. Anyways, our first topic for this week, uh, it's Buck and his story about NASA and the Outback. Yes, it is. Would you like me to elaborate on it or? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, as part of the preparation for the next um, Mars rover program, scientists from NASA and also the European Space Agency have been going to Western Australia to go and wander around the rugged ranges and suffer quite miserably in what's actually some of the most beautiful scenery on the planet, but it's just a little bit too rugged for them. But, yeah, so that they can understand what to look for when they're driving around because certain sections of um, the Western Australian outback are as close to as untouched as anywhere else on the planet and also highly enriched in um, fossils, etc., because and that sort of stuff, signs of life, that sort of thing. So... They've been, yeah, wandering around areas such as the Pilbara and, yeah, which, believe it or not, the Pilbara region is actually being referred to now as the cradle of life on Earth. So it's not in Africa. It all started here in Australia. Yeah, well, off the coast of the Pilbara, there's a whole lot of uh, stromatolite beds. And stromatolites are, I think, cyanobacteria, mm-hmm. which are the first bacteria to produce oxygen which itself was toxic to the bacteria. So they basically killed themselves off so that we could live. Such a noble sacrifice. But, yeah, like the the article, we've got the link there too. If you look through some of the pictures, it actually looks very similar to Mars. So they want to have the scientists able to see what they're looking at and recognise 
fossils, etc., and items of interest with the naked eye while they're driving around with the rover. So they can go, oh, we need to have a look at this. So, yeah, because it's um, less than a year now before NASA will launch a rover from Cape Canaveral heading to Mars with the goal of collecting samples. And the ESA, or European Space Agency, is embarking on a similar mission at pretty much the same time. So, yeah. And this is better PR than the last time Australia and NASA were in the news together when NASA dropped Skylab on uh, the Nullarbor and we sent them a $400 ticket for littering. It should have been much, much more. They could have killed one of our lizards out there. The interesting thing with this type of environment is, it, you were right, Buck, in terms of uh, it's a similar environment to Mars, but then is it, it, it unlike the Pilbara, or unlike Mars, uh, Pilbara doesn't really change, does it? Um, like Mars, you get like the odd, you get like, Dozens of environments just changing um, rapidly, unlike in the Pilbara. Pilbara is just just consistently hot. I don't know. Um, I, I like to take you and have you stay out there for an entire month, and you'll come back and you'll 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 be completely annihilating that sort of idea from anyone. Um, it's extremely hot during the day, but at night it can drop down to freezing cold temperatures. Like you can get you can get frostbite in the Pilbara at certain times of the year. And that's if you're lucky. There's no snakes on Mars. <laughs> oh, you're a funny, funny man. <laughs> but hey, come on. One thing I have to say though is, in an, when since you've mentioned snakes, did you see the story about the snake keeping the coffee pot warm? Yes, I did. Safe. See, everyone thinks snakes are bad, mean, nasty people, but. It was protecting a student's coffee maker and coffee pot from anybody coming to steal it. And you can tell it's a friendly one because of how big it is. Yes, and all the pattern on the skin. It's a, yeah. it's a carpet python. So, yeah, sorry for a little size step there, but you mentioned the snakes, and I thought that was cool. But the, um, oh, I was thinking more along the lines of uh, getting Samuel Jackson back to do a Snake on an X cinematic universe. I just think snakes <laughs> on a spaceship. Um, but do we want Samuel ja- Samuel L. Jackson? Well, they'd call him in as the consultant because he solved the snakes on a plane problem. Yeah, but see, like I was thinking, that could be more of a um, Doctor Who episode because hasn't he done something? Well, he's done lizard men and that sort of stuff in spaceships, yeah. and it'd be more interesting and less censorship. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the censorship in um, snakes on a plane was particularly bad. I'm tired of these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. You can probably guess what uh, what that is because of what Samuel Jackson is known for. Um, so how long is this project going for? Well, I think it's probably something that's going to be an ongoing thing, but um, they're planning to launch the um, missions to Mars next year, so... Yeah, uh, I know there's because um, there's quite a bit of um, the observatory stuff out in the middle of Central Australia and different regions. So yeah, you got um, ranging from parks all the way across to the Pilbara. You've got at different times. There's different teams out there that are doing um, astronomy research, astronomy astrology. You got both kinds out there at different times. When it depends on how many hippies are around. But um, yeah, I know. I know that um, 
the astrobiology people um, regularly go out over to um, the Pilbara. I like one of the American scientists' first impression of um, the um, environment in Australia. Wow, that stuff is spiky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would tell them about the uh, Spinifex grass. Yeah, spin, Spinifex grass. See, like, everyone worries about Australia being invaded. I'm, I am I, I don't know. Like, I don't care how tough you are. You go wandering through the outback, you you got to be suffering pretty bad because we got all the snakes and lizards and insects, kangaroos, buffalo, crocodiles, and everything else that are going to kill you. And then we've also got, like, things such as the Spinifex grass. Um, it's like walking through barbed wire and the barbs break off under your skin and get infected. And it's long barbs as well. It's not like normal barbed wire. This is barbed wire from hell. So, yes. I, I remember hearing about a farmer who had to have some um, spinifex grass removed after he'd um, been working near a patch with a, uh, fixing up a um, windmill for a water pump and he sat down into the spinifex grass and it took um, two days to remove all the barbs from all the tender areas. I am physically recoiling in horror. Yep. Like I've had, I've had had one piece of Spinifex grass in my calf, and digging that out hurt. Um, so yeah, I, I I heard about the the farmer, and I was just like, yeah, nah, nah. So that's another advantage of going to Mars. No Spinifex. Not that we know of. Yeah, it'd be pretty awful if you get to Mars and then turn around and it turns out you might as well just have gone to Australia. Because I'm pretty sure they don't have any culture on Mars. Some people say we don't have either, but... Hey, we've got bogans. Bogans are culture. Well, I was going to say, we've got the native cultures, and they're pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, great. So we can go and steal Mars from them as well. I wasn't saying that. (laughs) The professor is... Oh, wait, 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 what, what's, what's going on? What's going on? What just happened? Like, Are you not following, <clears throat> DJ? I, I am following. I'm just shocked. And, I'm just shocked at what you just said. That's all. What? Uh, it's a conquest. And, uh, but uh, back to the topic, though. I do have a question in terms of how they're going to... What type of um, materials are they going to use on the rover to in the hopes of that it doesn't damaged to the to the harsh elements um i well, think probably, curiosity was mostly aluminium it'll probably be pretty similar to a lot of the stuff that they've already used i don't think they're going to be changing that up too much because they've already got some tough little blighters up there that are running around and doing the business yeah so, i'd like to see a stronger wheel material because curiosity's wheels within a couple of years started getting chipped okay i don't know um, what make them out of though yeah, that's. I'm sure they they're working on something because scientists and engineers, being what they are, they're always reviewing the data. But yeah, um, one of the interesting parts of this is they've had indigenous rangers that have been hosting the scientists and telling them telling the stories of their country and the rocks. And yeah, I think it's probably something that's probably set some of the guys back because of the simple fact that. They're hearing stories about a land that's been inhabited for over 60,000 years or something, apparently. And, hey, they can finally say that they've slept somewhere better than a five-star rest- that five-star motel. You go into the outback of Australia, you sleep under a million stars. Yeah, so I've, uh, I stayed at a, a campsite outside a cattle station in, I think, WA, 
where the sign said, uh, the Hilton Hotel, million stars, no aircon, no toilets. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be that's gonna be hell. No. Gazing though. Um, like I've I've been camping out in the outback in Central Australia, and um, we're out there in summer, so hottest time of the year. And we stayed in one area for a couple of days, and because there's no humidity, it was fa- it was fabulous. Like it was hot, and I mean like stinking, boiling hot, but. Because there was no humidity, it was bearable because it was a dry heat. Yeah, and the said, trick is you basically need to have a uh, permanent drip of water going into your mouth because since it's dry, you won't notice the sweat coming out of your skin. Yeah. And then you get dehydrated and you die. Yeah. Well, we um, we were camp near um, a particular place that they um, drilled down into the, for the ball water. So they had a pool and they had a um, tent sort of tarp set up over the top of the pool so you can just go and relax in the pool and all that sort of thing and yeah it's amazing how if you set a tent up with two layers of canvas um it actually operates similar to an air conditioning system and it makes it quite cool and comfortable so yeah Yeah. we 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 didn't have air conditioning in the standard sense but you roll up the sides of the tent and you got plenty of breeze going through at different times it was quite nice yeah. Um. So, so you reckon this will be a big success, or just a? Um. It's probably going to help them stand more of a chance of finding evidence of life and that sort of thing. And they're actually going to, they're probably going to need to get some more um, geologists onto the team. But yeah, it's just one of those factors that at least they're actually acknowledging the fact that they need to start doing some of this sort of stuff a bit more. And yeah, they're doing it in one of the most picturesque areas you can find really yeah that's true anyways um moving along uh professor you've got a story about chucklefish and no pay yeah more controversy controversy from the gaming industry a former starbound developer damon reese accused uh, chucklefish of not paying him for his work on the game <clears throat> and he said he was 16 years old just starting his career and he's only just come out about it because he didn't want to be blacklisted for uh, taking star, well, Chucklefish to court or anything about that. But he apparently wasn't the only one. I believe there's eight people coming out with claims against Chucklefish at the moment. That's pretty slack, ripping off a 16-year-old. Yeah. Very, very slack indeed. Yeah. Um, Chucklefish have come back and said that the people who weren't paid understood that they were on an unpaid contract and had no obligation to create content, work the deadlines, or put in any amount of hours. And everyone was credited or remunerated as per their agreement. But the fact that eight people have come forward at the same time about this has sounds a bit like lends a lot of weight to the idea that they expected that they would be paid and felt like they were con. I like how it's like, okay, we, instead of going to the police first, go to Twitter. Tell our story that's, on Twitter. That's how you get things done these days. And it's a civil matter anyway, so you wouldn't go to the police. Yeah. This is similar to the other case, wasn't it, with um, League of Legends? Did League of Legends have uh, an unpaid worker dispute? I know they just resolved one about uh, sexual harassment. Yeah, I vaguely remember there was a pay dispute as well, but... I mean, League of League of Legends suffering for not for, for sexual harassment say it isn't so 
Yeah, apparently Riot Games has a bit of a problem with that. Oh, sorry, you you meaning the actual developers? I was I thought you were yeah. meaning just in the general community of online insults and. No, I mean the uh, some developers I believe were going to court about oh. uh, sexual harassment in the company. Ah, oh, sorry if I seem to be making been making light of it. There was just yeah, Le- League of Legends, um, one of the most toxic communities you can get. Yeah, I worked in logistics for quite a long time and played one game of that and even i was learning new swear words and insults i actually had to sit back and just listen and write them down i was quite impressed (laughs) yeah it's really disappointing that um all of these stories of game developers being ripped off or treated unfairly by their companies are coming out it reminds me of uh about 13 years ago now the ea spells letter which was the start of un- unveiling a whole lot of um, poor working conditions across the industry back in 2006. Mm-hmm. It was like we're going through another phase of that. Yeah, like I, I'm worried about sounding like a broken record here and harping on about it, but there seems to be this attitude in amongst these companies and the studios where they don't look after their people properly. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's just... Yeah, and we've seen the effects of it. Like, remember when Telltale Games, when the expose came out about Telltale Games and how their their um company fell due to the employers not treating the employees right. Well, there's also um the situation with uh, was it Mortal Kombat where developers were watching that much traumatic material that some of them were getting PTSD. But they didn't want to acknowledge that because of the symbol and discuss it because they were worried about getting sacked. So we're yeah. here for you, Professor, if you ever need to talk. But I'm a uh, an indie developer, like self-employed developer. Yeah, I know, but just making I, sure. Because I mean, I have to abuse myself. <laughs> um, so many lines, and I know I get in trouble for saying pretty much any of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that um, groups like Game Workers Union are able to pull together the support to uh, help improve the industry. I think a big part of the problem that uh, the EA Spouse letter brought up back in the day is that you have all of these young developers rolling out of uni, uh, hear about a game development job and think it's going to be all fun and games, basically. But then they get treated poorly, they burn out, drop out of the industry, and there's a new batch of students who have just graduated ready to come in the door. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, universities and colleges in America and other places are turning into production lines to churn out the next generation of sacrificial victims for game developers. So, And the, the guys at the top of the industry are sitting there and just raking in heaps of money and laughing. It does put it does put into question the value of game of a game development degree, doesn't it? It's not just game; it's like all software and all that. You get a this. So Bill Bill Gates looked after his people pretty well, and Microsoft has got a legacy there where there's <clears throat> some issues that have been raised, but they've actually introduced uh, a lot of measures to ensure and protect employees from discrimination and harassment across the board. So they they actually aim to look after their people because they realise that you want to attract the best talent and look after it to make sure it stays. Yeah, Whereas, I've heard of a lot of people who have dropped out of game development and gone to general software development because it pays better and there's better conditions. Yeah, like 
back in the day, Microsoft would they would go scouting for talent, and when you started working for them, you had your own office that you could decorate yourself to however you wanted, and like they got free ca- free free coffee, so you, you're on the campus, and they got cafes all around the place, and it's yeah, you don't have to rip you barely pay anything for food or drink while you're working there. And but more recently, go, there's Google doing the same. Yeah, to an even bigger level from what I hear. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft never had a uh, free story slide. No, no. But they started the culture that led to Google doing that sort of thing. Whereas you look at companies such as EA and so forth, and it's just, yeah, like we we attack EA a fair bit, I know, but they have this toxic um, atmosphere that's part of the culture of the company. And they're not the only one. It's just they're a prime example of it. Yeah, they're kind of the most infamous example because EA just keep going. Like any other company that's been accused of stuff like this, it blows over. But just when the first scandal finishes, some other EA scandal comes out. Mm-hmm. Yep. EA, the um, bad boy playboy of the game developers world, it's now getting to middle age and being creepy that's a good analogy <laughs> so yeah like we, we pick on um star citizen for being a bunch of ripoff merchants but well you actually got the name right this time yeah i know but um when you look at some of these other groups such as chucklefish and all that where they're just using and abusing their staff like i'm sorry but that's it's just disgusting and what's really sad is that Chucklefish have been have got really good quality stuff. They don't just make um, make games; they publish them too. And looking back through their uh, sort of bibliography, so many of the games they've published, uh, some of my favourites, and a couple of the ones they've uh, well, both games they've actually developed are also two of my favourites. So this is uh, another case where you don't want to support them, but it's hard to um hard to yeah. avoid them. Yeah, because they they've got such dominance in quality indie game market. Yeah, well, they're not going to be an indie game market anymore because of the fact that they're getting to be a fairly large studio now. So apparently, they've only got seventeen employees according to Wikipedia. Yeah, but it helps that they outsource to actual developers. I was going to say they've got a lot of contracted people at different times that aren't classified as employees. So yeah, yeah, that would make sense. If um, if they're not paying you, they're not going to count you as an employee, are they? Well, it's also they they contract you, but you have to have your own business identity to operate behind. So therefore, you're not an employee. That way, they don't have to provide you with any benefits or insurance, etc. Because that they are in America, aren't they? Ah, uh, no, they're based in London. Okay, well, even in England, you you still got to pay um, money towards the National Health Service and that sort of stuff for your employees and you've got to provide certain benefits and protection. Whereas for a contractor, you don't. They have to look after all that themselves. So out here in Australia, it'd be if you've got someone who's contracted to do a job, you don't pay them superannuation. You don't have to pay insurance for them. You have your own corporate liability insurance, but they have to insure their own. And if something goes wrong, it's their insurance, talks to your insurance and their insurance goes, oh, he stuffed up, so it's his fault. So, yeah. 
that's yeah. that's what I'm 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 taking as how they they've done it. I haven't looked at their corporate structure, but if they're putting out a lot of good content, they've got to have a lot of people working on it. You got a lot of people working on it, but you've only got seventeen employees. You're going to have a lot of people who are contracted in some way. Yeah, I wonder how it works. How it would be like with this with Australia with, <clears throat> with recently the one of the Australian gaming studios that got shut down a while back. Which one specifically? Um. Oh, the, I, remember, I remember specifically the one that was only just a month or two ago. Yeah. Crap, I've forgotten their name. I know we gave them a shout out, but I don't remember who they were. <sighs> Oh no! <laughs> quick, quick! Someone check his pulse. Quick to the Australian Game Developer Survey. <laughs> well, I wonder how it, uh, it's also um, interesting how um, you we've seen game developers also being poached to um, Chinese companies, mo- mobile gaming companies in China, like um, Tencent Games, for example. Um, well, that's a difficult one because it's an entirely different approach. But I know even for, like, Microsoft has got an office in China and their attitudes there, uh, they look after their employees extremely well. Um, Google has an office over there and they look after their people extremely well. Um, as for Tencent Games, um, I haven't heard anything, but the fact that um, games such as PUBG and all that was shut down because of the fact that it was toxic behaviour on the online play and that sort of stuff, yeah. Here we go. It looks like the uh, company I was thinking of was Defiant Development. Okay. They shut down in July this year, which is a damn shame because they released two main games, uh, the Hand of Fate series, and they were working on the third one when they uh, shut down. But for context, uh, Defiant, according to Wikipedia, has, well, had 25 employees and released... uh, Two games over nine years. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, there's quite a few games there, but they're much smaller games than what Chucklefish releases. So they've got more employees, but they've churned out less content. Yeah, but once again, that's employees. They're not listing out the contractors. Yeah. Because you'll have people who own, who own their own company who are independent operators, such as yourself, who will pick up a bit of work just to subsist on while they're doing their own thing at the same time. Because didn't we have um, 2K games a couple of years ago in Australia as well? Yes, we did. So, yeah, easy easy way to offset your costs of an employee is the contracted position. So, yeah, unfortunately, most of the world is learning that from the Americans. Yeah. (sighs) Not not that we hate Americans. I'm... I was speaking to that apparently I've, I've been a bit nasty to America. <laughs> I've got lots of friends who are American and they're great people. And I know there's lots of people in America that are great. So it's mostly your politicians are dumb. Anyways, um, moving along. Um, and last topic for the night is James Cameron mulling on a possible Terminator trilogy. A new one. Uh-huh. Yeah, remember when he decided that uh, Avatar was going to have five sequels, and here we are, ten years later, and has he even started filming Avatar 2? I think he's st- I think he f- he is still filming it, but hasn't he got scenes there that we we've discussed previously where he's got Sigourney Weaver doing different scenes? It's not like Star Citizen where it's it's coming. It's just a Batman one. 
we'll probably see Star Citizen before we see Batman. You know, funnily enough, uh, Star Citizen has a lot of big actors in it as well. Mm-hmm. Like they, um, the only one I can remember off the top of my head is Mark Hamill. So they're both big name brands that are taking bloody forever to actually come out. So James Cameron in this one is saying it's special uh, that he's being reunited to the to the Terminator movies. Um, what else has he been saying? Saying I don't I know. Su- You're telling us. I suppose it's an unusual situation from a high level perspective since I wasn't involved in the three intervening films. But when I talked to David Ellison about it, his vision was to go back to the basics and do a continuation from Terminator Two. So basically, for those who haven't who've seen the trailers and wondered where they're basing the new movie cut from, so it's basically a direct sequel to Terminator Two: Judgments and take and erase all the other Terminator movies you ever saw. So are they actually going to be good? Are they going to be absolute rubbish like all of the? Uh other Terminator movies to come out since Terminator 2. Well, the director for this, um, for De- Terminator Dark Fate, I think it's um, Tim Miller. He's the guy okay. behind the Deadpool movies. I thought George Miller for a moment and thought that would be amazing, but no. Oh, and he's also directing Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, uh-huh. God. <laughs> <sighs> you just lost us. It's gone. <laughs> It's like it's gone before it even started. It's like honestly, it took like me about three seconds of watching that trailer to think I will never watch anything by this guy again. <laughs> but how are they going to cope with um, doing new Terminator? Movie? Like, are they going to they're going to have to replace Arnold because he's just if they take too long before they get there, he's going to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> and... Robot, roll on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like it's just. And um, what was the um, Sarah um, Connor? She's the lady who played Linda Hamilton, wasn't it? Yeah, Linda Hamilton, yeah. yeah. Like, she's not getting any younger. Like, she's still a stunning lady, but the way that they're moving just on um, doing the reboot of Avatar or the next five movies of Avatar or whatever, by the time that he gets around to doing this, it's just going to be... It's going to be insane. Like all the people that were there that had such brilliant personalities. You know that it, scene in Terminator Two where um, Sarah Connor's hanging under the fence with the new kids, and it's just the bones left behind. It's going to be like that. So they'll have the bones propped up and acting because the actors will be dead. <laughs> like it's just yeah, it's just getting ridiculous. So they're well, going to have to find all new people to fill all these roles. At which point. Like we said last week when we had Sean, if you're going to do a reboot and you haven't got any of the original cast and you're doing a, com- it, do a completely new story, don't give it a completely new name. Don't just do a reboot. Get, don't just keep cashing in on the same franchise. Start something hey, new up. Even Mad Max Fury Road was a complete oddity. Uh, it was disgusting. But here's like, It was a great movie, but it was disgusting to call it Mad Max. It, was, it had nothing to do with Mad Max. Well, the first, the the main character was Max, and he was pretty mad because they took his car off him. Yeah, but I mean, didn't it's... you see that bit where in the sandstorm and he's like, "That's my car." <laughs> yeah, but it's not Mad Max. It's just yeah, it's just they're catching on a franchise that's established and done well, and now they've just got some uh, tossing uh, pot in Hollywood that's trying to make money off of 
somebody else's franchise. But here's but the thing. Terminator already has time travel, so they could just retcon or reboot whatever they want. That's the thing. That's what um they're saying about with the new one. They're saying that that's because the time travel aspect of the new story has been used to effectively erase the events depicted in three previous installments. <laughs> so they're using time travel again. Yeah, but just come up, just give it a new name. Make it an entirely new series. Don't just cash in on the other one. Like Terminator, as it stands at the moment, it, it's it's starting to get weak. If they but do a reboot, do. it's just going to suffer. Just rename it Exterminator and replace Arnie with some tough British guy. Hey, just call it something else completely different. And yeah, it's like, I'm sorry, but whoever's coming up with these ideas needs to be just strapped over a table, have a huge funnel shoved fair square up the um, Kyber Pass and a huge boiling hot enema poured in to clean out their brains because... This is just getting ridiculous. Like, there's nothing original coming out. It's just, or if it is, it's they're tagging on to something else, and it's nothing like it. Yeah, but it's he- like the the Lethal Weapon series on that's going through at the moment. It's great fun to watch. They got the names of the characters right, but it's nothing like the original movies. Yeah, I agree. Such a shame that show got cancelled, though. And then you had what was it, Shooter? That's a a, a great, no, again, great series, but nothing to do with the original movie. And it, eh. well, the interesting part was James Cameron um, being in, being tempted into the into directing it into producing into this movie was was done by uh, the studio boss Dave Ellis, who pitched the idea of doing time travel to reboot the whole thing, um, bringing in the John Connor Skynet and the T eight T eight hundred Terminator. So apparently this was a similar tactic used by Star Trek back in the day. Uh-huh. Well, isn't the rebooted Star Trek just like all time travel as well? Yeah. Well, which which um, timeline are you talking about? Like they've got different timelines. and The newest well, that, remake. Well, the newest like remake. 10 years ago with uh, Chris Pine. Yeah. I was going to say the newest. Well, oh, okay. So you're actually talking back because I was going to say they got that. Um, What's that TV? The new series that's coming out? Oh, that's... Discovery. No, no. Picard. No. Um, they're not even on an Enterprise. They're on another ship in time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Highly. And it's more of a, And it's more of a comedy. It's... Oh, the Orville. Orville. The Orville. That's, That's unrelated. It. That's a parody. But it's... It's Star Trek. Yeah, people say that it's a better Star Trek than Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, but like, that's what I'm saying is they've got so many different timelines. It's just getting insane. Like you Would can you do it with Star Trek because of the fact that because it's a science fiction space thing, you can and it's over so many different years, you can get away with it. But this is it's just the the the, the fact like DJ said there, the idea was pitched by a studio boss. So in other words, a money grubbing, greedy. Um, I was going to say fame hall, but he's not really a fame hall because he's the boss. But yeah, just 
chasing after more more money and no artistic integrity. You reckon though that thanks to the the trope of um thanks to movies like these, the science fiction movies are becoming more of a joke now. Science fiction movies have never been mainstream, but these idiots are trying to make it mainstream because, like, yeah, like Terminator was hugely successful, but it was like it didn't start off as being hugely successful to start with. It just it was a surprise to everyone when it was so successful. Same as um, Blade Runner, people were surprised at how successful that was and how successful the story's been. Yeah, actually, um, that reminds me of uh, Denis Villeneuve, who is along with Duncan Jones, is one of the main sci-fi directors who I would go and see anything by now. Mm-hmm. But like, you got you got some of the guys out there that are doing this sort of stuff that refuse to work with some of the major Hollywood studios just because of and and not yeah they because of the fact that it's the money grubbing lack of integrity that comes through. It's like Quentin Tarantino doesn't work with them on a lot of these things because he doesn't want to. He doesn't because they start dictating on how he's supposed to do it. So he does his own thing as much as he can. Yeah, and you hit it right on the head. Was you said the same thing what Cameron has said as well in terms of sci-fi movies? They're just pandering to a large audience, making big, expensive films. And it's not it's not like the proper sci-fi films that created the genre and set it up as it is. Like you go look at some of the most amazing sci-fi films from film history. There was no CGI, and that was the thing that made them so brilliant. Like there was, like you had series such as um, The Land of the Giants and that sort of stuff. They didn't have CGI for it, and it was uh, yeah, you could see that with the prop, some of the props were pretty crass and poor and the same with everyone's favorite series doctor who yes i was just thinking while you were saying that of uh, one of my favorite gadgets from doctor who which is this big cabinet sized machine i don't remember exactly what it does but it's basically a box with some lava lamps glued on top yeah like the original soundtrack for soundtrack for um doctor who like we've shared that on a facebook page and the guys doing that just it was pure oh, imagination yes, and just completely insane way of coming up with all of these bits and pieces, the, the sound effects. And the, the TARDIS is a key being dragged along piano strings. Yeah. And then, the like, you got that, and like, there's one of the all-time greatest, the, um, the monster from the Black Lagoon and stuff like that, which was a guy in a rubber suit. Um, King Kong, the, one of the old original black and white versions, King Kong was actually a chimp. They actually it was literally a chimpanzee that was climbing up a statue on a set, and they were and they had a um, carousel thing running around above him with the planes. And they were kind of nasty with how they did it, but they had it so that he was getting angry and agitated, so he started attacking it. That was reason, that was, and they got the footage. But like, I don't condone that. But like, you got so much of those movies from what, throughout the decades that. The special effects were special effects. It wasn't just all CGI. Yeah. Like you had people there that where it was literally, you had people with like so much more being done on the set that people were interacting with. Now it's, you got someone standing there in front, in front of a um, green screen or blue screen, whatever, and they're doing all their acting. And then all the scenery is put in afterwards by computers. And then you got all the special effects being added to it. 
And special effects these days are astounding. But there's certain things that I think they still don't quite capture, like not just the graphical quality, but Mm -hmm. having people actually in the environment instead of reacting to what the script tells them. Yeah, like certain weight to the actions. I don't know how to describe it, but I think you get the idea. Yeah. Well, I can't can't remember which movie it was, but I remember in one of the movies, um, I think it was Harrison Ford actually had part of his eyebrow singed off from an explosion because they needed him to be in a certain position. And they said, but at, when we give you the, the cue, you've got to move and you've got to be over here because if you're any closer, you're going to get singed. And it singed off it singed some of his hair and his eyebrows. I can't remember if it was um, one of the Indiana Jones ones or something else, but he had to wear like he had to wear a hat for the rest of the for, for the movie because of the fact that otherwise he just had no hair. It does remind me of uh, the unfortunate accident in the Twilight Zone movie. Oh yeah. They decided to do a particularly low pass with a helicopter, mm-hmm. and the fireworks were overloaded. So when they set off the special effects, they shot down the helicopter and it killed the lead actors. Yeah. Even um, when you look back at some of the James Bond movies, they've got some of the most amazing special effects to the extent where they actually had a ca- one of the cameramen had his had lost his foot in a helicopter accident because he was hanging off the side of a helicopter to get the footage. And we're talking about back in the days when the cameras they were using were about the same size as the torso of a large man. And he was out there and he did that. He lost his foot. And as soon as he could, he was back on set and filming. But these days, they just, yeah, if they've got to leave the air conditioning, then it, it's not on. So anyways, would you, be, would you guys be hyped for a, no. for a Terminator series? Nope. No? Given what I've just said, do you really think I'm going to be like, I go back to Doctor Who in the black and white. Uh, I don't think so, but fair enough. Yeah, Doctor Who's another oddity where they managed to do a complete reboot, new actors, new cast, new crew, and get it right. But it helps that they've already done that eight times before Doctor Who was rebooted. Yeah, they built it into the storyline to allow them to be able to do it. Yeah. It's the whole it was the whole lore of who the doctor is. And that was specifically because the lead actor had severe illness towards the end of his life and was, wasn't able to act anymore. That's mm-hmm. why they had the regeneration cycle trope, didn't they? Yeah. Because that was the, well, I can't even remember the name of the original um, doctor now. I feel so bad. But well, yeah, yeah know. that's it. Thank you. But yeah, like he, he had some health concerns and they had to generate a way that, they could keep going because it surprised them how, once again, it surprised them how successful it was because it was this thing that nobody expected to do anywhere near as well as it did. And here we are. How many decades now is it, Professor? Uh, like 55 years. Like this thing has, this show has been going so long that the newest batch of fans are the children of the children of the adults who were watching it when it first came out. I mean, it's old enough now that the, one of the lead actors is married to the granddaughter of one of the other lead actors. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that, well, that's just what, yeah, basically what I was just saying. Like, this goes back to, like, my, when my dad was in his 20s, he watched some of it and he laughed at it and thought it was cr- kind of crazy. But there were other people out there that just absolutely loved it and it wasn't just the kids. 
and now it, here we are 55 plus years later and it's still one of the strongest running series out there like literally there's not, nothing nothing else that stands up against doctor who for the quality and longevity yeah that's true that's true anyways i mean the interest of time we should move on um so, Professor, what games have you been playing? I've been uh, continuing on with Dicey Dungeons. Nice. I've unlocked all of the main characters. There's one hidden character who presumably you unlock when you 100% the game. But um, I've now unlocked Episodes Mode, where each uh, episode is a particular modifier. So one character gets extra attack, but he also takes um, damage when he attacks. Or uh, another character has to throw away their gear after each battle and start again from scratch. Now, one question I didn't ask last time about this is, is it only D6 or do you you get the D8s and D12s? No, only D6. See, I reckon that would add a whole new level of sophistication to it. Like if you had all the different polyhedron dice, so you could have a D4 running around and you have your D20, who's the, the ultimate champion that comes out. Yeah, it would be... Uh, That's the next version of it, I guess. Possibly. Dicey I Dungeons that, 2. I don't know that Terry Kavanagh has ever done a sequel, but hopefully he does explore that if he does. And I'm willing to give it to him, just because I'd like to see that out there. I'd like to see the D4, the D8, the D10. <laughs> or the, the D100. It's a, a tag team character. Ooh, that would work. And the D20 and the D24. That would be amazing if that actually came, that actually happened. I would actually, I'd definitely go by that, just because that, that would, like, this is looking cool, but if they did all the polyhedron rather than just the D6, it would just act as that next level. Somebody got Terry on the phone. <laughs> yeah, here's a D, I think that's a D100? Yeah, D100 dice. Yeah, it's in a uh, standard seven set. The D100 is two D10s. Yeah. If you roll one for the hundreds column and one for the tens and ones column. Holy shit, there is a D1000 dice. Yeah, oh, it gets that, pretty insane. Yeah, there's D400 too. Yeah, but what sort of damp? What, what, what spell are you casting where you need a D1000? <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's like you got Tiamat and a couple of the other gods waging war. I say it would probably be mostly useful for those random generation tables. You know the the list you get where it's like roll dice to pick magical loot? Yeah. I don't know. I'm still not sold on it. Uh, anyways, Buck, what have you been playing? Um, I've been continuing on with Albion Online. Nice. I've advanced my character up a level, so I've now got better armor and be- better weapons. Just got to unlock all the other bits and pieces so that I can get better tools for mining and so forth. And, I, and it looks like apparently, because um, I've done absolutely no research about the game before playing it, apparently you get to build yourself a house and have pasture where you have different horses and so forth. So, yes, I'm looking forward to that. I've been um, playing D&D with um, Buck as well. And how, yeah, how have Buck you been finding that? You yet? What's, what's up, Professor? Has Buck tried to kill you yet? Nope. I have but he has been pinching, but he's been pulling my ear just to stop stealing. Yeah, every every, every time he because I have him sitting beside me, and every time he he, get, he gets grabs a dice, I'm watching, <laughs> and he goes, "Is there anything to steal?" 
Well, I just, and I'm sitting there, and I just reach across as I'm grabbing him by the ear, and I go, yeah. <laughs> the the Asama reaches across and grabs the halfling light foot rogue by the ear, picks him up, drags him closer, and grumbles at him in Thieves' Can't saying, no, behave. <laughs> but, it's, but it's fun to steal. <laughs> Not in the town where we're living. Oh. Although, I have to admit, um, the lady at the general store was rude to my character, and in character, I stole three or four um, health files and hid them inside her store, which confused the, even confused the DM because I, <laughs> I got I managed to steal them, and then as we're leaving, he sent someone after us, and he didn't quite catch what I said. I steal them and hide them in the store. So, <laughs> so she you- sent her big heavy lugs of security guards to attack us, and they had, they searched us and couldn't find them. So how have you been finding? Playing D&D with us. I've been finding it fun, actually, especially the comedy routines we've been pulling off. <laughs> like the time I tried to sneak into a camp and just yep. absolutely failed at it. Yep, and then, um, <laughs> yes, we, 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 we pick on the other halfling for his oil. <laughs> and the um, and the and one of the, one of the characters that has a missing arm. What's a hand? Um, half his arm. From the other <laughs> we, we've now nicknamed him the one arm bandit because <laughs> he's a pirate, but apparently he's not part of the thieves' circuit. So, uh, but it's fun though. It, it's fun to play D and D for the first time. So, want to I want to play more, but you know, we'll see how we go. See how we go. I need to get the monsters manual and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll learn about your character more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but- Anyways, uh, so moving on to our shout-outs. On the 1st of September 1902, A Trip to the Moon, considered one of the first science fiction films, was released in France on this day in 1902. Uh, the brainchild of film, pi- film French film pioneer Georges Millais. Uh, the silent black and white film tells the story of an astronomer's dream, a group of men travel, travel to the moon by the way of a giant cannon. Um. Do you know which book that was based on? Um, no. Professor, can you help him out? Uh, would it be the Jules Verne one? I can't remember the title. Yeah, I can't remember the title. I think, but yeah, it's that's they use a cannon to shoot them to the moon. Yes, which we now know would cause horrible, horrible G forces. Not for um, us, but most would of the your spaceship would burn up in the atmosphere on the way out. <clears throat> yes. Although, funnily enough, this reminds me of. Um, Wallace and Gromit with their trip to the moon. <clears throat> but once again, it's all off the Orwellian prediction. Yeah. So um, 2nd of September 1752, Great Britain, along with its overseas colonies, adopts the Gregorian calendar. Uh, 2nd of September 2019, Max Sylvester made a dramatic emergency landing when his instructor passed out mid-flight set- um, which he cre- which Max credits his studies for saving his life. Um, can I just say he didn't pass out; he had suffered a seizure. Okay, the article saying he passed out, so that's okay. The article I saw was he was he actually suffered a seizure. So okay, uh, it was Max. I mean, they're not they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Max's first lesson in the two seater Cessna and his third lesson overall. And his wife and three children were watching from the ground. Oh, that must have been terrifying for the wife and kids. Well, they wouldn't necessarily know about it until after he landed. Yeah. Oh, that's true. You want you want terrifying? 
try landing, try coming in to land on us in a small plane when the um, passenger door falls open and drops away from the plane, and you have to roll the landing gear out standing next to it by hand because that's all part of the same system that's failed when it's actually dropped the door. Oh, that's gotta suck. But the air conditioning, well, I actually did. Um, it sucked out a few bits of paper and almost a couple of people. Um, on the 4th of September 2019, it's been 30 year, 13 years since Steve Irwin died. Uh, Steve Irwin's children, 21-year-old Bindi Irwin and 15-year-old Robert, uh, both work with their mother at Australia Zoo, continuing the, the efforts their father dedicated his life to. <sighs> wow, 13 years. Feels like a lifetime. Feels like only yesterday. Yeah. Uh, remembrances. So, second of September, nineteen seventy-three. J.R.R. Tolkien, English poet, English writer, poet, philologist, and academic, who is best known for the author of classical, classic high fantasy works, *The Hobbit*, *The Lord of the Rings*, and *The Smerillion*. While many other authors had published works of fantasy before Tolkien, the great success of *The Hobbit* and *The Lord of the Rings* led directly to a popular resurgence of the genre. This has caused Tolkien to be popularly identified as the father of modern fantasy literature, or more precisely, of high fantasy. In 2008, the Times ranked him sixth on the list of the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. Forbes ranked him the fifth top-earning dead celebrity in 2009. He died from a bleeding ulcer and a chest infection at the age of 81 in Bournemouth. And the uh, most interesting thing is a lot of the stuff of his stories for The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, etc., were written originally in the trenches of World War One. Well, there was also a movie based on this life, wasn't there? Yeah, but I don't know how accurate that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, September, 2nd of September 2005, Bob Denver. Yes, Bob Denver, not John Denver. I grew off. <laughs> I only made that mistake once. <laughs> American comedic actor, widely known for portraying Gilligan on the 1964 to 1967 television series Gilligan's Island and beatnik Maynard G. Krebs on the 1959 to 1963 series The Many Loves of Dobby Gills. He died from pneumonia at the age of 70 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, 2nd of September 1937, Pierre de Coubertin. A uh, French educator and historian, founder of the International Olympic Committee and its second president. He is known for as the father of the modern Olympic Games. The Pierre de Coubertin Medal, also known as the Coubertin Medal or the True Spirit of Sportsmanship Medal, is an award given by the International Olympic Committee to athletes who demonstrate the spirit of sportsmanship in the Olympic Games. He died from a heart attack at the age of 74 in Geneva. You reckon Coubertin, what would Coubertin be doing up while watching the Model Olympics now with all the doping accusations and whatnot? Well, I reckon people back then were probably doping just as much, but they didn't get caught. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole period of um, of cycling from, I don't remember the exact years, but uh, basically none of the top three finishers in any of those years of the Tour de France have their title still because they've all been busted. Yeah, but when you look at um, back at when the modern Olympics first started, we're talking like 1901. So back back then they seemed to have a bit more integrity for certain things. True. Do we know uh, if the Nazi Olympians uh, were doping? 
Um, not that I've ever heard of. Okay. I know um, Adolf Hitler apparently wanted um, what's his name? Car- was it Carl Lewis? No, um, the American the, runner, the black one. Yeah, but the the American runner. Yeah. Um, they wanted him to be part of the eugenics program because he was such an amazing athlete because he was also really quite intelligent and so forth and charismatic. So Hitler was actually a fan. Yes, I know uh, there were some other tricks they pulled to get better athlete performance, but I don't know if them would actually be um, any of them were actually doping. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and by the way, guys, here's an interesting fact for you. The latest um, Kubotin medal goes to Han Meilin from China for his for his creation of the Fuwa dolls for the 2008 Summer Olympic Games in Beijing. Okay. So the Fuwa um, doll. I would have given. I would, I would have thought it would have been. There was that lady who stopped and helped carry one of the other competitors across the line because she'd fallen and she just didn't have it. Didn't have anything left in the. Um, I can't remember. If it was a 5,000 meter or the um, marathon, and there was one of the guys in the Ironman races did the same that's more of a spirit of truth sportsmanship than someone who made a doll yeah kind of cheapens it when it's being just given out as a political payoff <sighs> anyways. Awards. Mm. anyways uh famous birthdays on the 2nd of september 1877 frederick soddy uh english radiochemist who explained the, with uh, this rutherford that radioactivity is due to the transmutation of elements now known to involve nuclear reactions he also proved the existence of isotopes of certain radioactive elements. His works and essays popularized the new understanding of radioactivity uh, was the main inspiration for H.G. Wells' The World Set Free, which features atomic bombs dropped from biplanes in a war set many years in the future. Wells's novel is also known as The Last War and imagines a peaceful world emerging from the chaos. In Wealth, Virtual Wealth, and Debt, Soddy praises um, Wells' The World Set Free. He also says that the radioactive processes probably powers the stars. He was born in Eastbourne, Sussex. Yes, yeah, the uh, alchemists were right. You can transmute material, but they were completely wrong about how you do it. <laughs> and, there was, uh, and there was no magical stone that could do it. Well, uranium <laughs> is a stone. And just because you haven't found it, you haven't actually proved it doesn't exist. You just haven't found any evidence to support that supposition. Uh, on the 2nd of <laughs> September, 1936. <laughs> I love it when Buck does that. <laughs> on the 2nd of September, 1936. Dun, 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 dun. Andrew Grove, a Hungarian-born American businessman, um, engineer, author, and a pioneer in the semiconductor industry. He escaped from communist-controlled Hungary at the age of 20 and moved to the United States where he finished his education. He was one of the founders and the CEO of Intel, helping transform the company into the world's largest manufacturer of semiconductors. As a result... Uh, you were trying to do the Intel song. Yeah, I was about to ask how many times you watched the ad to get that. <laughs> yeah. As a result, the Mac login sound. <laughs> Dun. What about Windows ninety five? Which one? <laughs> the Pronino one. You mean the? <laughs> my God, you got <laughs> my God. Windows NT? No, I can't do that one. <laughs> I can't stop. Windows NT Pro. <laughs> what about the dial-up sound? Can you do the dial-up sound? 
Your call cannot be connected. Please try again. And I do not miss dial up internet. Oh, so do I miss the good old days. I said I don't miss it. <laughs> yeah, but DJ um, remembers it and fondly because he was young. Hey, it's good to be. Hey, the fun times were the days when you were young. I know, I'm having fun now and I'm old. <laughs> Apparently. You keep telling me. Uh, so, um, as a result of his work at Intel, along with his books and professional articles, Grove has, consi- has a considerable influence on electronics manufacturing industries worldwide. He has been called the man who drove the growth phase of Silicon Valley. In 1997, Time magazine chose him as man of the year for being the person most responsible for the amazing growth in the power and innovative potential of microchips. He was born in Budapest. Uh, 2nd of September, 1966, Salma Hayek, Mexican and American film actress and producer. She began her career in Mexico starring in the telenovela Teresa and starred in the film El Calejon de los Milagros, also known Cal- as... Calajon. Ah, thank you. The J is pronounced as an H. Ah, thank you. It's why Jesus is Jesus. Ah, thank and you. And George is Jorge. Mm-hmm. Uh, for which she was no- nominated for an Ariel Award. In 1991, Hayek moved to Hollywood and came to prominence with roles in films such as Desperado, From Dust Till Dawn, Wild Wild West, and Dogma. Her breakthrough role was in the 2002 film Frida as a Mexican pa- painter Frida Cajol. Ca- uh, Carlo. Frida Carlo, my mistake. Uh, for for which she was nominated for Best Actress for the Academy Award, BAFTA Award, Golden Globe, and Screen Actors Guild Award. The movie received uh, widespread attention and was a critical and commercial success. Hayek's recent film was gro- include Grown Ups, Puss in Boots, Grown Ups 2, Tale of Tales, and The Hitman's Bodyguard. She was born in... Oh, I want to... Let me take a deep breath. Kotsakolkos, uh, Veracruz. Oh, that took a while. That took that took a lot. You're lucky we only gave you one tough one this week. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He stuffed up on one before as well, didn't he? Yeah. Not that we're keeping track. He's still got a few more to get through, though. Uh, so finally, on our events of interest, uh, 2nd of September, 1807, the British Navy bombards Copenhagen with firebombs and phosphorus rockets to prevent Denmark from surrendering, surrendering its fleet to Napoleon. Oh, mm-hmm. Phosphorus. And so, that's not the last time they would do that. Didn't uh, they also bomb the French fleet during World War Two? Yeah. Well, no, they didn't bomb it. They just scuttled it. They, they just went in and just, they had guys run through and actually just plant demolitions at the bottom and sink it. On the 2nd of September, 1946, the interim government of India is formed, headed by Jawaharlal Nehru as vice president with the powers of a prime minister. This government was entrusted the task of helping the transition of India and Pakistan from British rule to independence as two separate nations. The interim government was was in place till 15th of August 1947, when the nations of India and Pakistan received independence from colonial rule. On the 2nd of September 1901, Vice President of the United States Theodore Roosevelt utters the famous phrase, speak softly and carry a big stick at the Minnesota State Fair. Roosevelt described his style of foreign policy as the exercise of intelligent forethought and of decisive 
action sufficiently far in advance of any likely crisis. You see, there's that key word that modern politicians lack, fall for it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say intelligent. <laughs> like if, if we got invaded by aliens and they're looking for intelligent signs of life, that would suffer so bad if they went to one of our political leaders, wouldn't they? Yeah. They turn up and say, take me to your leader, and we, we're going to have to fake it. We're going to have to find someone to fill in. Just a quick just a quick I question. That, oh, sorry. So, uh, just a quick question. That speaks softly in Carrie Bixick. It reminds me of um, Warhammer. What, what, what was the Marines line? Walk softly and carry a big gun. Yeah, well, it was in tribute. But um, I reckon if aliens invaded us, they probably actually aren't looking for our leaders. They're probably to go to dogs or cats. <laughs> well, no the other, Egyptians no. worship them. I don't see how that's changed. Oh no, we we got. We, don't, don't forget, we got the new masters now. The penguins. Yes, well, but we are the enlightened few. The rest of the world doesn't worship the penguins as they should. And we don't follow penguins around scooping up their poo and to treasure it in a plastic bag. Um, we don't weigh hand and foot on. Penguins the same as we do on cats. Neither do we feel um, do we dress penguins up in stupid costumes. So it's yeah, kind but dressing of a... dressing the cat up in a stupid costume is fun. It's a form of torture, but it's fun. And finally, the fourth of September, nineteen sixty six, the Jerry Lewis MDA Labor Day telethon was first aired to raise money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. <laughs> The uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association was founded in 1950 with hopes of gaining the American public American public interest. Uh, the show was hosted by comedian, actor, singer, and filmmaker Jerry Lewis from its 1966 inception until 2010. The telethon would raise $2.45 billion for MDA from its inception through 2009. <laughs> Uh, which, but I think the organization still they're still trying to make the bring back the telethon as I last recall. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, it, it's like Jerry Lewis is just one of those guys that just he was just a whole lot of fun. Oh, um, by the way, Bucky, uh, that um, athlete that Hitler was being jealous of, um, he was speaking earlier on. It was Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens. He wasn't jealous of him. He was a fan of him. I thought he was he jealous. He was fangirling but... pretty hard. Ah. He was like, he... Jesse Owens have my babies. <laughs> pretty much. He was. He, he wanted Jesse Owens to join his uh, eugenics program and father babies, which when you, you consider the Nazi policy that anyone who's not an Aryan is subhuman, kind of puts him on the back foot, doesn't it? Uh, anyways, um. Anything else? Anything else to add in before we uh, end the end the show for tonight? Well, do we have a uh, particular shout out for this week? The you guys want to add podcast friends? Um, uh, you... I would say off with the fairies. That's exactly who I was thinking of as well. Especially, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the lady who's part of the cast, but she's got got a show down in Melbourne as part of is it the Fringe Festival or something. Okay. I haven't heard about that, but we'll have to uh, give her a shout out on our page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, that's it for tonight. Um, where can they find us, Buck? Um, well, I'm usually located in good cafes, libraries. <laughs> you're, you're located on a couch. <laughs> I bet. Where can they find the podcast? Ah. Oh. 
<laughs> well, you didn't say that. <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, I didn't, Drew. <laughs> well, you can locate us at tnc.com. Well, that's not Canon Productions. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple. I, I'm not sure what they call it because I don't, don't really do anything with Apple. Um, Spotify, anywhere where there's good podcasts, such as Stitcher. Um, we are on Twitter. What's our Twitter address, Twit? Oh, it's uh, at an amalgamated. And our email address is? Um, nerds.amalgamated at gmail.com for all our if, if anyone has any business inquiries. Or even if you just want to send us an email to say, stop picking on us. Um, yes. If, uh, if Donald Trump listens to this podcast, feel free to send us an email saying, stop picking on me. <laughs> yeah. Interesting thing for Donald Trump is um, the Bloodhound Gang wrote a song about him years ago. Well, why is everybody always picking on me? I thought you were going to go for the bad touch. No, no, no. If you listen to Why Is Everybody Always Speaking On Me, you'll understand. Okay. Um, the star from the Off With The Fairies podcast that I was thinking of is Isabella, and she's How Far I'll Go at Melbourne Fringe. So if you're in Melbourne and you want to go along and check out an amazingly talented um, person, yeah, go along and enjoy the show. Anyways, uh, that's it for tonight. Um, See you guys. See you next week. Take care of yourselves, look out for each other, and stay hydrated. Hooroo. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.